Hello and welcome to In Unison, the podcast about new choral music and the conductors, composers, and choristers who create it. We are your hosts. I am Zane Fiala, Artistic Director of the International Orange Chorale of San Francisco. And I'm Giacomo Di Gregoli, a tenor in IOCSF, the Golden Gate Men's Chorus, and the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. And this is... In Unison! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment in our mini-series all about IOCSF's upcoming concert program, Freshly Squeezed. Today, we're talking to IOCSF's current composer-in-residence, Michael T. Roberts, about all sorts of things, but most importantly, his new composition, A Prayer for Rain of Sorts, entitled Come to Us in Water. Mike's inspirations for the piece are really fascinating, and we are very excited about its premiere on December 4th in Berkeley and December 18th in San Francisco. For all the details about these upcoming performances, please visit iocsf.org. Speaking of making it rain, we want to take a moment and say a big thank you to a couple of folks who are helping support the creation of this podcast. We couldn't have made it this far without our generous donors, so today we're giving a shout out to composer Tarek O'Regan, and IOCSF singer and board member Joseph Blodgett. Thanks so much for the support, guys. If you would like to help support In Unison, please visit inunisonpodcast.com slash donate. You might notice that the audio on this episode sounds a little different, and that's because we recorded this interview in a different location using slightly different equipment. Just a little FYI in case you find yourself wondering about it. Now, before we get into the conversation with Mike, let's have a listen to another piece he wrote for IOCSF in the midst of the COVID pandemic in 2020. It's a fun piece all about what was, at the time, a new experience for us all, Zoom video calls. This recording was done remotely and put together into a virtual choir video that can be viewed on the IOCSF YouTube channel. Zoom, 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 zoom. Everybody. 
Today on In Unison is composer, guitarist, songwriter, and teacher Michael T. Roberts. Originally from New England, Mike picked up the guitar first and even toured with a rock band called Stand Up 8. I've actually listened to some of their music and it is quite good, I recommend. <laughs> um, before now spending much of the last decade composing vocal music. Mike's work has been commissioned or premiered by the Oakland Symphony Chorus, International Orange Chorale, whoo, a Accord, Treble Choir, Choral Chameleon, Pacific Ed Voices, and several others. Currently, Mike is at work writing songs for a new ensemble with Persian-American singer Adrian Shamzad. Mike has over 20 years' experience teaching guitar, bass, ukulele, music theory, and more recently, composition. He holds a BA in music from Dartmouth College and an MM in composition from the San Francisco Conservatory of Music, where he studied with David Garner and our friend of the pod, David Conti. Mike resides in Berkeley, California with his wife, two kids, and approximately 47 instruments. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. We are really excited to chat with you. Oh, thanks for having me. Mike, I didn't know about the uh, the ukulele and uh, the other forty seven instruments that are probably in your home, uh, but as a means as a means to get to know you a little bit better, uh, we'd love to toss out an icebreaker at the beginning. So here's one for you: <clears throat> If you could participate in a reality TV show, would you? And which one would it be? Would I? Well, I think I would if uh, if I had to. If someone forced me said, you have to be on a reality show, then I would do it. But I'm a pretty shy person. So, um, you know, given the choice, I would probably choose not to be on camera. But if I had to, that's the more interesting question. Let's see. Um, probably not The Bachelor. Um, <laughs> yes, your, your wife might have objections to you. Yeah, I, you know, I could ask her, but uh, I, I don't think she'd be into that. No, the, the first one that springs to mind, actually, this is going to be a very nerdy answer. Um, there was a PBS reality show called Colonial House. And yeah, just imagine a bunch of people brought together and forced to live like early Massachusetts. Oh, oh wait, I've seen this. Oh, there, and there's a British version of the show too, isn't there? Yeah. So they did like Manor House. So yes. it, was, it was basically like Downton Abbey and yeah. um, in, in reality form. Yeah. So a bunch of people, they're given all these different roles in a, you know, colonial plantation 
there's the there's the governor and there's the farmers and there's the you know the the soldiers who defend the the colony and so forth and they and they have to live together um you know it's like mtv the real world but 17th century and just all the hardships that that they go through and all the challenges they go through honestly it looked horrible <laughs> you know, like it's, it's muddy, you know, I think they do this in the summer, they're hot, they're getting eaten by mosquitoes. Um, they're basically living in in poverty, but I was kind of fascinated, just to see, um, you know, a, a 20th, 21st century group of people forced to live like that, and what it did to them, it was not easy at all. And um, what yeah, would be your I, what would be your role, Mike? Would you be the uh, colonial bard or troubadour or something? Like what <laughs> what instruments would you probably? I feel like you would gravitate towards like teaching music or <laughs> walking around with a lute. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's lute. right. Yeah, if I could if I could bring the bring the lute and uh, and play some John Dowland, that would, that would be <laughs> stylistically appropriate for sure. Or would you be musically narrating the show, walking around as you see certain people doing things? <laughs> And once there was a woman named Mary. <laughs> you got it. I, I, I think you've got a job there on Colonial House. <laughs> given, given that brilliant bit of uh, improvisational composition there from Zane, that segues quite nicely into talking about you, Mike, and how you first became a composer yourself. What was actually the origin of your, um, your journey as a composer? Why did you choose to become a composer? Yeah, well, I think for me, it really started with picking up guitar. And, you know, I was blessed with a teacher named Ken Volpe, who really stressed creativity from the beginning. So, you know, I started playing guitar because I wanted to learn Stairway to Heaven. Um, you know, basically any Led Zeppelin song I could get my hands on. Um, and he very gently kind of pushed me from there into jazz and learning jazz theory. And as soon as I knew some chords, he was saying, okay, put some of those chords together, um, make a progression. And I remember him writing that in, in my lesson notebook, write a chord progression. Um, and so I just experimented with chords that way and kind of gradually that turned into songwriting. And I was always improvising. That was always a very important part of our lessons as well. And I mean, I'll never forget the first time he made me try improvising and how awkward that felt, um, you know, to be kind of spontaneously creative um, in, in a musical way. That was really the first time I had ever done that. Um, so, you know, so, so to me being an instrumentalist and being um, you know, a creative musician, that was all part and parcel. And I, and I think, you know, it was, it was part of kind of the musical culture that I was growing up in too. You know, I grew up in a town that happened to where like a lot of people played music. A lot of my friends played music. Um, you know, Ken had a huge studio of a lot of like really amazing guitarists and everyone wrote, you were just sort of expected to do that. Like if you were, if you were playing, you were also making stuff up. And if you were in a band, like, yeah, you were gonna play some covers to begin with, but eventually if you were serious, you were gonna be writing your own material. So, you know, Zane, you mentioned Stand Up Eight, and um, that was definitely 
how we rolled as well, you know, started out as a, a you know, cover band playing in fraternities. And as soon as we could, we're writing our own material. And it was very collaborative, you know, so, so for me, like, creativity, creativity on, on the musical side of things was, was very collaborative um, and, and improvisational. And those were kind of my, my focuses for a long time. And it wasn't really until later on in, in my college years when I actually wrote an opera my senior year of college. And that was my first really like serious project that I did on my own. Um, you know, more than just a song or two here and there. Um, and I never really thought of myself as a composer until that moment. And maybe not even then, it's kind of took, still took me a while to think of myself as a composer per se. And also because I was not really growing up in the classical world as much, you know, my formative years were really in rock and jazz and those styles and I kind of got into classical music more later in high school and then in college I was a music major and that's where I really kind of started devouring classical music and the idea of being a solo composer kind of um, you know came to me gradually um, and I really you know then got excited about the idea of kind of, of exploring my own vision that didn't have to be filtered through my bandmates um, the people that I was playing with much as I loved that. And I mean, that can create such amazing results um, and becomes a very special thing, you know, when you're making music together. Um, but it, then it was really a revelation to take those strictures off and just be able to come, you know, create totally freely, um, see where, um, you know, my muse would, would lead me and, and, um, and you know, in some cases, be amazed by those results too. So, Mike, when when did um, when did choral composition become a part of your universe? I mean, do you remember the first piece you wrote specifically for like an SATB group? Or I do you... because I was thirty years old. It was you know, <laughs> not, in the scheme of things, like not that long ago. Um, and it was actually it was my second year um, at the conservatory as a grad student. Um, because we had the uh, choral composition competition, which you know, alternated in years with the uh, with the art song competition, so I have David Conti to thank for that, because that was under his auspices. And um, yeah, so that that was my first piece for that competition, and uh, it didn't win anything, by the way. Um, but what year? Sorry, Mike. What year was that? That was two thousand eight. Okay, so I think that's before IOCSF got involved with that. That's program. right. Because we perform as part of that now, but uh, I didn't think that was before our time. What what was what was the piece, Mike? Do you remember? Is it something? Yeah, about? it was called "Cast Thy Bread Upon the Waters." Uh, it was a passage from Ecclesiastes. Hmm. Really beautiful um, passage, um, and you know, I'm trying to remember. It's been so long since. I've heard it um, or even thought about it, um, but I was happy with how it came out. It was really, it was wonderful to work on it and have it be sung immediately. Um, and, and then fortunately it was performed again by, uh, by a group here in Berkeley, uh, which is now called Pacific Edge Voices. So that was very um, affirming 
to have it performed by another group. And, you know, they, they were so encouraging about it. And then that same group performed my second piece, which, which wasn't until 2012. So I took some years off, you know, that's when we had kids and I was, um, you know, much more limited in what I could do time-wise being home with babies and whatnot. Um, and also concentrating more on guitar playing. At that point, I was playing in a guitar duo, a classical guitar duo with uh, a guy that I went to grad school with. And knowing that I couldn't work on everything, decided yeah, I'm gonna focus on this collaboration for a while. Um, so that was a lot of fun. We, we, um, we had some good times together as well, but, um, but yeah, so it really happened gradually. And I would say that it wasn't until like 2014, 2015, when uh, actually when my duo partner decamped for New York and suddenly we didn't have that anymore, I thought, okay, I can really be a composer again. I've been kind of neglecting this for a few years. And I just sat down and I wrote a list of projects that I might want to work on. And when I got done with it, I looked at it and like three quarters of the stuff on there was really stuff that would work great as a choral piece. It was all setting text. And, um, and I, I kept thinking, oh yeah, this would be a good choral piece. This would be a good choral piece. This would be, and I found myself getting excited about that. And I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna focus on this for a while. You know, I'm gonna try out being a choral composer and see where that goes. So, um, you know, when, when you made that list, what did you find were the things that were really inspiring you to put things on that list? What, what, what were the parameters that made it so that something made it on the list? Um, so yeah, really it came down to text and the themes of the text and, you know, just mainly poetry that I found to be beautiful and inspiring. So, um, at that particular time, I was reading a lot of Robert Frost and getting very nostalgic for New England where I grew up and thinking, you know, this would be a really wonderful way to kind of reconnect um, with this place that I'm from, you know, through this poetry. And, um, and then I ended up spending quite a while setting a bunch of those poems um, from Is one is that the hymns from a meadow that hymns uh, from a meadow exactly yeah. yeah so i did like a four seasons thing basically you know setting a one poem for each season unfortunately of course with robert frost you have a lot of seasonal poems to choose from <laughs> um so it was very easy to find a spring a summer a fall and a winter in fact you know multiple candidates for each of those from just one collection yeah. of his poetry. So I ended up, so all of those poems came from one collection called A Boy's Will. And then I actually ended up setting a few more. Um, I did a couple for women's choir, you know, for trouble choir, and then a standalone art song from another text in that, in that collection. So yeah, I mean, I really, I ran with that for a long time. And, and even this summer was, I said a different one from that same collection uh, as an art song. So my, my first experience with your choral music is from, I guess it was 2019 when we programmed a piece you wrote called Oh Child. Oh. 
which we loved. The the ensemble just fell in love with that piece, and I feel like the performance was very good. Uh, but you know, it I'm was. biased, of course. I, I um, can confirm that. Yeah, you were in the audience for the Berkeley concert. I remember that's the first time we met face to face. So you actually wrote the text for that piece yourself, and you describe it as kind of a, a sort of a Christmas carol. What what inspired you to write this particular text and and make this piece come to life? Yeah, well, I definitely just love the idea of writing Christmas music because Christmas music is so you know essential i think you know in in our western culture it's the body of work um that forms christmas music and holiday music generally is so important to such a wide range of people mm-hmm. you know even people who are not religious necessarily everyone knows this music um everyone loves this music you know at least some some part of it you may not love every song, but I can guarantee, you know, for almost anyone out there, there's going to be at least one song that is very special in some way. And so I just love the idea of adding to that body of work, um, hopefully something that, um, you know, would, would be meaningful. And so, you know, having been, um, you know, a father for, for the first time, not too long before, now I have two kids. Um, I just remember that feeling of, you know, my son, when he was first born, this brand new person coming into the world. Um, and it's a flood of emotions, right? Not all of them good necessarily. I mean, it's sort of, it's overwhelming. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, but it's like, you know, everything from like, am I going to be a good father? Is he going to grow up right to like, what is changing that first diaper going to be like? Um, and if you've done that, you'll know it's terrifying. It's, terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an alien substance uh, has, <laughs> has come down to earth um, and been deposited in a diaper. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so it just struck me, you know, is it possible that Joseph, this figure from the Bible, was thinking some of these same things, you know, what was going through his head. Mm. Um, and, you know, cause it just seemed like such this kind of fundamentally human, you know, universal, like human experience. Um, you know, it's been mythologized really in, in, in the biblical story of it. It's, you know, it's about so much more than just a human birth, obviously. Um, but I, so I, I like the idea of trying to bring it back a little more to the human um, and these very personal feelings that that he, um, you know, as a new parent, was probably feeling there. And and I should say too, you know, it was not meant to necessarily be limited to Joseph. Could be Mary that was feeling that as well. Um, I don't think I was specific in the in the piece. Um, so yeah, so it was just really taking that idea and there was no text out there, at least that I could find that expressed that. And so that's why I wrote it myself. I thought, you know, I I'll just do my best to express this how I can and just try to make the kind of Christmas music that I love, which is just really simple 
and pretty uh, and, you know, hopefully memorable. Let's hear how Mike made some of the Christmas music he loves. A simple, pretty, and memorable composition called Oh Child. This recording is actually from the last freshly squeezed program presented by IOCSF, performed in San Francisco in the fall of 2018.
Mike, I think you're right about, um, you know, I think the average choral music fan really gravitates to choral music during the holiday season. That's, I think, typically when most people think of choral music. Uh, conversely, however, it turns out there's not a ton of music written for global pandemics. And, uh, <laughs> and Mike, you are uh, currently the composer in residence for IOCSF, and uh, what a year. I mean, talk about things to... to pluck from in terms of inspiration. And despite the insanity of the past year, you actually managed to turn Pandemic Lemons into Lemonade with the first piece you composed for us called Zoom. And I happen to know the answer to the question since I was present for its inspiration, but maybe you can tell folks about what inspired that particular composition for you. Yeah. Well, let's hope, first of all, that it's not the start of a new pandemic genre. No. <laughs> Though I think we are going to see a lot of pandemic music, I think, come out from this period of time, which I think will be interesting, including your piece. But yes, no, let's not have a pandemic genre. <laughs> yeah, 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 we, we hope not. But yes, we do hope that that the experiences of, um, you know, of this incredibly weird and trying time uh, is reflected in art, right, in, in different ways. So yeah, this was certainly one way to do it, um, which was basically just to try to have a lot of fun um, with this video conferencing medium that suddenly, you know, became such a crucial part of, uh, of our lives. And, you know, what would we have done without it? We're using it right now. Um, so, you know, it was, it was inspired by Zooming with IOC. Um, and, you know, I was really excited that we were able to, you know, get together, quote unquote, um, on Zoom, face to face again, quote, <laughs> quote unquote, and talk about music. And we had Mari Valverde there, you know, I think she was in, in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're coming from all these different places. And we had, a, you know, really great, fun conversation um, about the music that, uh, well, you were planning to perform. And of course, in, in the end, couldn't at least not um, that year. Um, but so, you know, I was so discouraged that this residency that I was so excited to be taking part in was, you know, going to have to be deferred at best. Um, so I thought I've got to do something. And I, you know, I think just that little refrain from the song just kind of popped into my head something fun something rhythmic everybody you know for our listeners out there mike at the moment has his eyes closed and is bobbing his head just rocking out to his song i love it and it's really fun we'll uh, we'll include in the show notes the actual video as well because it's really really fun it yeah. is you, you really did turn lemon into limited in fact fun fact for you I don't know if you knew this or not, but actually, uh, that piece was played at Zoom's uh, annual conference. I think it was actually name-checked yeah. by the CEO as well, Eric Yuan, who was like... Yeah, Zoomtopia, I think Zoomtopia. they called it. Yeah. It was played and at they, pl they played the video yeah. <laughs> for that. I heard that. It's, it's so great. It's <laughs> so great. I can't, I can't help but hear the song every time anyone says it's a crazy world we're living in or crazy times we're living in because I just, it constantly comes into, into my mind. Was there uh, anything, as you, so as you were com composing the piece and, and writing it, did you consider the fact that it was going to be virtually recorded as you wrote it? Did, did that come into your compositional, you know, technique as it were? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's kind of an, an interesting challenge um to to think about so yeah really what i tried to do was just keep it in a very comfortable singing range first of all um 
you know, because I'm picturing people in their bedrooms or their living rooms or whatever, recording this, not necessarily like standing up and singing really loud, you know, but like in a small space, like singing into their computer. Mm -hmm. It's just a very different sort of experience, um, I would imagine, for the singer. You know, maybe you guys can um, can elaborate on that. Um, but likewise, I also tried to keep the the tempo of it as consistent as I could. I think there ended up being like one or two places where it changed just a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, I wanted it to be very rhythmic, very on the beat, just to make it easier to keep it together. Um, yeah. You know, just from a practical standpoint. That was for you, Zane. So <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so that yeah, that that was mainly it. And then other than that to just have fun with it you know this was meant just to be a little a little break a little vacation in this time of stress yeah. um, and it certainly was for me I mean I just had so much fun writing it and it, and from a practical standpoint you know, because it was pretty simple from a musical standpoint and you know, my kids are inside distance learning they're on their computers zooming I couldn't really do anything inside I couldn't be at the piano so I was sitting out on the deck with my notebook and I could just write some of this stuff down without the piano, just kind of dictating the simple little melodies and rhythms and stuff that were coming to me. Yeah. Now I was, it, when you wrote that piece, I feel like it was May or something that we started working on it of 2020. And so it was still really early on in the pandemic and we were still feeling like things were, were pretty tenuous still at that time. And I remember working on zoom and rehearsing it quote unquote with the singers and then starting to get their recordings and you could tell how much how much fun they were having with it and what a relief it was to like have something else to to focus on and put their energy towards as opposed to just sitting on their couches worrying about whether or not it's safe to even go outside you know because at that time we were still really really concerned and they did have a lot of fun with it and of course we'll put a link in the show notes to the video but it's up on youtube and people can go go view you view the video and and see us all having fun i think i think giacomo actually puts a wig on <laughs> don't you in the video i mean it was a day ending in y so i was probably there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but, which i you know it was it was a spot of joy i think that we needed as one of the singers in that i i, I can't thank you enough for that and i yeah. think um you know it's interesting how composers can sort of definitely reflect the time and, and i think that uh uh that period of time was was one that was quite dire and we all did really need something that was a little bit of joy in fact we did a playlist of joy for um for in unison which was also i think pretty welcome and we were asking folks what do you listen to when you need something that kind of will cheer you up yeah, and on the other end of the spectrum um, is a piece that you have uh, now written um, as your as a second piece for uh, as composer in residence for IOC, which is actually the piece that folks will be able to come and hear um, at the premiere on December fourth and December eighteenth, uh, December fourth in Berkeley and December eighteenth in San Francisco. Your piece, "Come to Us in Water," which IOCSF is currently preparing. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Maybe Zane, you can also. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to kind of give a little preface. 
um, because we, you know, Mike being our composer in residence for a year when we weren't rehearsing meant that we didn't get to do anything except for Zoom uh, by you. And it was sad. And then as we came to spring of 2021, we thought, oh, we'll definitely be able to get back together. And then, of course, no. And so finally, we got to the point where we knew we were going to come back for the fall of this year. And I remember reaching out to you and saying, well, let's just let's do what we planned to do in 2020, which was to sing a piece that you had previously written called Prayer for Spring or Prayer in Spring. Um, and you said, actually, I have this idea. I want to write a new piece. And I was like, great, let's do that. That sounds wonderful. And you said, you said, I want it to be, I'm thinking maybe having it be a, a prayer for rain. And I thought, oh, that's a good idea because we're suffering from a massive drought at that moment. And then when you first sent me the finished score, that day we got our first significant rain in like 18 <laughs> months. That very day. And then on top of that, we made arrangements for you to attend a rehearsal, which is a wonderful experience to have a composer come to a rehearsal and get to hear their piece and then give us feedback in real time. That day, we had a massive downpour of rain that actually caused myself and Giacomo to be late to rehearsal because the <laughs> rain was just so torrential. And it was this huge downpour. So I, I got to ask, are you a conjurer of natural witch, spirits? Sir? Are you a witch? How did you do this? God, maybe I am a witch. I didn't I'm, think I was. By the way, California, you're welcome. You can send checks to Michael T. Robinson. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's all... It's all because of me. That's right. No, no, that it. You know, it was very satisfying to to see that happen. Um, I certainly did not expect that. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, pretty pretty amazing. I mean, if it's a coincidence, it's an amazing coincidence. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, and you know, if if the music had something to do with it, that's great. I will take it. Whatever it is, it was really, it's been really lovely to have the rain that we've had. So I'm very happy about it. You've written some pretty extensive notes actually telling the, the performers. I mean, we had, a, we had a rehearsal where we spent a good 10, 15 minutes just walking through the ideas and the concepts and the imagery and the, um, and the spiritual nature actually that you've poured into this piece. Can you tell folks a little bit more about, um, I think you referenced Druidism. I think you referenced um, a, a, a sort of a few spiritual act, aspects when you think about this. And particularly, I think you, you reference um, the notion of the divine feminine, right? The goddess that we call to, to, to ask for rain. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of what inspired your thoughts there and how you translated them into this composition? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I am a card-carrying Druid. Um, I'm a member of the ancient order of druids in america aoda which is which is what is druidism actually because i'm not sure that i know entirely yeah so well it it can be a lot of different things um it's it, it's very open and very welcoming to a lot of um you know a lot of different spiritual backgrounds so i actually i self-identify as a christian druid i grew up a christian i'm i still consider myself a christian but i think really what is is common to all Druids is just a reverence for nature. Um, that's really it. You know, and you 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 see nature you see nature as sacred, um, and you participate it participate in it, and you honor it in active ways. So that can be ritual, that can be um, practices like gardening, um, or even just 
going to your farmer's market, um, you know, and, and buying local produce instead of produce that comes from thousands of miles away. It's, you know, any, any ways that are accessible and meaningful to you to honor nature and to, and to take care of this earth. Um, so for me, of course, music is a very natural and, and beautiful way to honor nature and to be a druid. So I've really have tried to make that part of my practice. And that's um, why I'm very attracted to poetry that expresses reverence for nature. So all those Robert Frost poems um, that definitely came out of a desire to honor, you know, a, a very specific place um, you know, Northern New England that he came from and that, and that I spent a lot of time in. Um, so a similar thing here, you know, is what I wrote in my notes for the choir is that, you know, first and foremost, this is not really something that I am expecting to produce rain. <laughs> if it did great. Um, but that's not really ultimately the goal, really the goal of the piece is to connect with the element of water as a force in nature, but also the power behind that element. Um, and, you know, something else that I kind of confided in, in these notes is that this was really the first time that I articulated that spiritual power as the goddess. You know, I've, I've, I grew up in a tradition where you prayed to God the Father. And, and while I've never really believed that God is exclusively male, I also have to admit that, you know, the image of God as a man and, you know, usually an old man with a big white beard and a flowing robe, you know, it's so pervasive, it's so ingrained, um, you know, from when we're kids, it's, I, I had to admit to myself that I, I can't just get rid of that image. Um, and I was really feeling like this element of, of water, you know, is coming with a feminine energy. That was the energy that I wanted to honor. And so I thought, okay, I'm, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to use the word goddess, you know, and I'm really going to think of that force um, behind water as the goddess and go in that direction. I love actually, and you begin the piece with something that feels like uh, a ceremonial or like a, a ritual itself, which is just this breathing ritual, which is quite lovely. You have a sort of breathing in and filling the space and kind of filling it with our hope and our, you know, sort of our, our feelings at that moment. Just to give our audience an understanding of what it says at the very beginning of the score and what it looks like. The first five or six measures of the piece actually don't involve any singing. They instruct the singers to to breathe together in and out and in and over you know and so on and so forth and to do so in a in a in a way that's together breathing together but not like audibly breathing really loudly or anything it's almost like a meditative moment for us to come together and breathe together and kind of cleanse and and there's some instructions at the top of the score what what do those instructions say yeah so as as i recall it says that you Picture blue light and the color blue is associated with the element of water. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there's a technique that 
we use in um, in druidry, color breathing. Not that it's exclusive to druidry, but it's it's a technique that we specifically use in kind of a ritual way. Where so you imagine a color, and you imagine that color as light around you. So I say, you know, imagine blue light surrounding you. You breathe in that light. You let that blue light fill you, and then you breathe it out again. And so I say, you know, send that light westward. Ah. So the west is also associated with the element of water. And of course, here in California, and I guess in, in most places, the rain comes from the west, usually, mm. right? That's, that's the direction we see the clouds roll in from. Uh, of course, we've got the Pacific Ocean right out there to the west. So, you know, the west is very much the, the home of water um, in our environment here. So it's just the idea of, you know, inviting that element of water from the West and letting that, that blue light sort of be a connection, like, you know, a, a real physical and spiritual connection to the element of water as a way to kind of channel it toward you. Yeah. That's, that's the idea. It's a really interesting, um, instruction in a score i haven't seen a lot of that um and i think it's really cool it's a neat way to bring everyone together yeah and then so you also wrote the text for for this piece um in fact you wrote a whole lot of text as a potential uh source for this piece and then you selected from that to create that we we recently talked with um a composer in southern california named dale trumbor and she had a few pieces of advice for composers uh, to write their own text. And um, I'm wondering if you have some advice as well. Like, what? how did you come to writing your own text and what kind of advice would you give to people who are a little bit daunted by that idea? Yeah, well, you know, as I was saying with O Child, I really wrote that text and, and, and any text I've written for a choral piece, I write it if there's not already a text out there that, says what I want to say. Um, you know, if if someone had written a poem or something that really captured what I'm going for, I would use it. Um, and, you know, when it comes to setting poetry generally, obviously there's a ton of amazing poetry out there to set. I don't really consider myself a poet. So I'm not I'm not going to sit down and write a poem. Um, you know, if Robert Frost or someone else um, could say it better. Um, so it's really when I have a specific purpose in mind um, and, and, and I need the right words, I need to generate those words myself, that's when I'm going to do it. You know, fortunately, I do have enough of a background in, in writing and I have written songs um, and I've certainly written a lot of prose over the years, um, I feel a certain amount of confidence doing that, that, that I can articulate what I want to articulate. And, and, you know, that would, that would really be my advice to composers is, you know, don't, don't be limited to what's out there already. You know, if you have something that you want to say and it's meaningful to you, you're going to say it in a way that is meaningful to you and is meaningful to others, you know, and it doesn't have to be fancy. Um, you know, there, there's obviously so much amazing choral music out there 
using one word as its text, right? So it's not that you have to write complex poetry, um, you know, or metered or rhymed or anything like that. It can just be a few words. Um, and, and, and in fact, that can be better you know, than, than being wordy. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's why, as you said, I started out with lots of words for Come to Us in Water. And I knew immediately looking at it, I'm not going to set all of this. That's, right. you know, that's not, that's not the, um, that's not the mood I'm looking for. It's going to be really wordy. Now it's, you know, contrasting with something like Zoom, which is obviously a completely different piece, you know, in so many ways, very rhythmic. There's time to get a lot of words in there. And the words, all the, you know, the patter of the words becomes, um, you know, an intrinsic part of the rhythm of the song. Mm -hmm. But then a piece like Come to Us in Water is much more lyrical. Um, it, it's much broader strokes. So you need fewer words for that. That's more effective. And you want those words to, uh, to come through more. So yeah. I had a, you know, I had a good time cutting it down to what I really felt was most essential. And then you let the music fill in the subtext. As a as a final point on this piece, what um, what impact are you hoping it's going to have for the audience and the singers? Well, I'm really hoping that it's just an opportunity for the singers to connect with the sacred in nature, however they define that, um, however you define that, I should say. Right, I've got a singer and a director right here, um, and you know I've articulated it articulated it in a particular way. But I think we all have had experiences where nature is very meaningful and, and, and touches us um, in a way that's special, where you know we can sense the presence of something beyond what's physical, beyond what's material. So I hope that you can connect with that in the music and then help the audience to do the same through your performance. And you know, that's really what that opening breath section, which also closes the piece. That's a way of doing that. That's sort of a way of preparing, um, preparing the ritual space um, and preparing yourselves um, in an emotional and, and spiritual way to make this connection to nature and to each other. And of course, to the audience as well. Uh, Mike, aside from this, this particular piece being premiered in, uh, in wow, in almost about a month or a little bit over a month. Any other projects you're working on right now that you can share with us or anything else going on that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, so in the introduction, Zane mentioned um, my uh, project that I'm working on with the singer Adrian Shamzad, um, which is something that I've been thinking about and working on intermittently for years and years. It goes back to um, 2005. I wrote a uh, set of songs for a play at, uh, at UC Berkeley. It was an adaptation of the stories of Eva Luna, which is a really beautiful book by Isabel Allende. So I wrote, I did some settings of, of passages from that book in the original Spanish and we performed them during the play. And there was something about that project that was just very special. I loved it. And I thought, I wanna write more songs for that group. And that was kind of the seed um, of, this, of uh, what I'm preparing now. So I've been writing a bunch of new songs for this group. Um, 
that and Adrian is very has very patiently waited for me to um, <laughs> have the time to work on them. I've I've been uh, distracted in a very nice way with uh, these choral projects, so I'm looking forward to that because this will be the first time in a long time that I will have performed again. You know, played guitar um, and write something that is maybe a little bit more stylistically omnivorous than than some of the things I've been doing uh, more recently. So stay tuned for that. There's nothing really, there's no performances or anything like that. It's just, it's in the planning stages right now. Um, but I'm really excited about that. And then I do have another premiere coming up in April. I wrote a piece for a chamber trio, a very interesting, uh, instrumentation of flute, trombone, and piano. Um, which I had never heard of before that, um, but it's a group called Noyo Consort, and they're going to perform a piece that I wrote, also a water piece, actually. It's called Fog Theme, and they're performing it up in Mendocino in April. So, you know, if anyone wants a weekend away, uh, weekend of April 24th, come and meet me in Mendocino, and we'll, uh, we'll see the show. Mike, where can folks uh, find you online so that they can follow along? At hotmike.com. That's a hell of a URL. I need to know. Is that just a recording pun, I'm assuming? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to be generous there, Mike. (laughs) Well, you can find me at (laughs) badassjocomo.com. Hey, that's probably still available. Not anymore. You should check it out. Yeah, no, it, it, it actually, I think the original pun, I didn't come up with it. The original pun was with Hotmail. Back when, you know, people uh, still had Hotmail yes. accounts. Actually, oh, yes. I still, I still have me too. Account. We're showing our age, Mike. It still, it still works. Yes, it still works, works, right? Yeah, so actually, one of, one of my bandmates from Stand Up 8 was trying to help me come up with, um, you know, a website address that would be memorable um and uh i think he was joking when he said oh you could be hot mike i was like oh that's great it's short (laughs) it's memorable and um on brand yes exactly yeah sure (laughs) this has been a really fascinating conversation we're so excited to premiere this piece uh come to us in water and of course zoom was so much fun to work with and it's just been a great well, now two years that we've had a chance to work with you and to be inspired by your music. So, you know, thanks for coming on and, and talking about what you do, what got you into composing and, and giving us a little bit of information about Druidism. I, I don't know a darn thing about it. And now I feel like I know a little bit more. So uh, we appreciate your time, Mike. And we're really looking forward to seeing you in December for the premiere of your piece. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Take care. Let's finish off today's episode with a piece of mics that IOCSF was planning to perform in the spring of 2020 before COVID messed everything up. Written for the Choral Chameleon Composer Institute, here is Mike's setting of the Robert Frost poem, A Prayer in Spring. This is the premiere performance given by Choral Chameleon.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast. Be sure to check out episode extras and subscribe at inunisonpodcast.com. You can follow us on all social media at inunisonpod. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think. Score is collected after the concert by Chorus Dolores, who highly recommends this new choral podcast called In Unison. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our transcripts have been diligently edited by IOCSF member and friend of the pod, Fausto Daus. And our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Please be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.